Well, I think we're going to continue this morning with our response time following the message. And these questions are suggested to you as a means to help you in that time of response and dealing with uh, the message. What is, what is sanctification? There's lots of answers there. Yours will probably be helpful to somebody. How does the believer participate in sanctification? Once again, a multitude of possible answers. Yours might be a word of encouragement to someone not even realizing it. What is a sign that we are on the right road to sanctification? What is a sign that we are in fact being sanctified? And so you might, um, you might have a, a clue, a hint, as to what the theme of this morning's message will be. Obviously, it's a message on assurance. For the elect of God, those whom God has by His grace granted to them faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The elect of God have assurance. They have a certainty because we have God's Word on it. We have God's Word. We have the the truth of God's Word. And so it is the, the elect of God have the assurance of Their sins are forgiven. That is, the wrath of God has been propitiated in God's Son. Likewise, the elect of God have assurance that the righteousness of God's Son has been imputed to them. And they have received the gift of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, comforts us in trouble, gives understanding of the Word, and accomplishes growth in holiness and assurance that they will live eternally in the very presence of holy God. Did you hear that? If you believe that, say amen. amen. Theologians, people who make a, a lot more money than Ben or I or even Kenny, theologians use the terms justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now perhaps you've You've heard these before, but they are kind of, kind of big theological words. They certainly, it is certainly helpful to understand them in kind of a timeline perspective, that which was, that which is, and that which yet shall be. I've always loved Philippians 1.6 because it states this doctrine so beautifully and succinctly. And I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I have confidence. I have assurance. I know that he who began a good work in you, that which has already been accomplished, that which was began in our salvation, that, that when we were justified, right, in Jesus Christ, will we'll bring it, will began a good work in you, will bring it to completion, will bring it processing, moving forward, right, at the day of Jesus Christ, when the Lord comes to gather, to call, to collect all of us unto himself. I have found it convenient to me to say I'm not what I once was and I'm not what I yet shall be. Amen. So God is at work. God is bringing about that which we characterize as the sanctification of his people. God has accomplished... Now, it's very popular in theological circles. They use these terms, justified, sanctified, glorified. I read one author that I thought a lot of, and and he said, in fact, that it was uh, not, not to do away with justified, sanctified, glorified, but rather he said that is, in fact, it is sanctified, sanctified, sanctified. And I like that. Because the whole idea of sanctification is, uh, is the idea of the removal or cleansing is, is implied here. Um, it is the idea of um, advancing, accomplishing holiness. And so it is that in Christ, when we receive the gift of faith by the grace of God, to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that, that at, at, in God's divine purpose and plan, we are sanctified. Yes, we're justified. It's a great, fabulous, marvelous doctrine. Someday Ben will teach us all about it. Oh, he, has, he has done a great job in the past. But yes, it's wonderful to be justified. But understanding that it, it, in, in the justification, that there is the work of sanctification. So... so God moves us from the place of, what, what does Ephesians 2 tell us, remember? We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have now been made alive. Okay? So here's this work of the progression, the movement, the advancement, if you will, from death to life, a work of sanctification. Of course, and sanctification takes place throughout the lifetime of the, the Christian, the believer, where, where God and the Holy Spirit is always working in our lives. And we're, going, we're actually going to talk a lot about that yet this morning. So leave it be enough said that the work of sanctification is, is occurring throughout the lifetime here on this world. And then I think I probably don't have to explain much to you at all the idea that glorification is in fact sanctification. I mean, this is, this is the ultimate work of God 
in the sanctification of his people, right? It is that ultimate measure of holiness that he imparts to us so that no longer are we uh, even in the presence of sin. There is no temptation to sin. There is, there is, there is no sin, there's no darkness in, in the glory of God when we're exalted to his home called heaven that he advances to us that, that ultimate holiness. I'll read a verse that says, we don't know what we will be like, but we know we will be like him. Okay? So, so that, that glorification is a work of sanctification and bringing about the cleansing, the ultimate, complete, total advancement of God's people in holiness. R.C. Sproul, a favorite of many, one of God's many, many wonderful teachers, preachers. R.C. Sproul wrote, The whole purpose of God's election is to bring his people safely to heaven. You know, as I'm reading this, there's just so much here that you, I have to stop and let you reflect on for a second, you know? The whole purpose of God's election is to bring his people safely to heaven. Therefore, what he starts, he promises to finish. He not only initiates the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit is with us as the sanctifier, the convictor, and the helper to ensure our preservation. In doctrinal terms, the work of God to finish what he starts, what he initiated, is called perseverance of the saints. Perseverance, P-E-R. Severance, yeah. We call it, in Baptist circles, we call it once saved, always saved. Heard that all your life, haven't you? Once saved, always. And, for those of you of a more reformed bent, it is the P in tulip. R.C. Sproul says he doesn't like that term. He says, this catchphrase is dangerously misleading. He says it's it's misleading because in the idea of the perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved, he says it sounds like something, something we do, that we persevere, and that it's in our hands, in the hands of the believer, to accomplish what, what God started. It's up to the, to the believer to finish what God started. Sproul says he prefers the term the preservation of the saints. He goes on to write, the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. My confidence in my preservation is not in my ability to persevere. My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with His grace and by the power of His intercession. He 
is going to bring us safely home. Amen. So, he likes preservation of the saints. So, so the question is, are we preserved? Are we preserved like that pack of catfish I have in the freezer at home? Inert, frozen, just waiting for the moment to be thawed out to glory? I think not. By no means. Let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible say about the state of the preservation of the saints? 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from degree to, of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. Not what I once was and not what I would yet be. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Throughout Scripture we encounter the idea, the analogy of walking with that of the pathway of life. And so we, we live out our lives in Christ through good works as we should walk in them. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You might be familiar with the account of Martin Luther father of the Reformation. He told of an occasion when he was crawling on his knees up the steps of Scala Sancta. I believe it was 24 or 25 steps and it was the practice that you could crawl up on your hands and knees praying as you go. He said that it was during his climb up these steps on his hands and knees that he discovered, that he encountered, that he had the epiphany of justification by grace. I suspect in reading Martin Luther's biography that he not only encountered, he not only recognized justification by grace, but he also encountered sanctification by grace. The point of this whole climbing was to attain merit before God. Every stair climbed, increased or earns for the individual greater merit with God advancing his standing with God through his own zealous efforts. You know anybody that does that? In this sacrifice, Luther came to understand 
that this, this idea of this, this self-sacrifice is, is wholly contrary to the biblical truth of Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But I think he also came to a realization and understanding, if not a firm recollection of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is a word that means cleanse us from all unrighteousness? It is sanctification. Let's continue in Scripture, Ephesians 1, 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. 2 Timothy 1, 9. He who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. <clears throat> which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Hebrews 12, 5. So how much, how much work was involved in that that he gave us before the ages began? Yeah, okay. Hebrews 12, 5 and following, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by, by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Discipline is part of God's work of sanctification in the life of those he has adopted into his family, his children. And so we receive the teaching, the discipline, the sanctification, the cleansing of God as his children. This is the work of sanctification which the believer receives in the course of this present world. And it is a sanctification that God accomplishes in you for you. It is a very personal, very individual work of God. The Lord knows you. He knows who you are. He knows where your weaknesses are. And it is the Spirit of God which deals with each of us according to our individual needs and abilities to benefit from God's provision. Temptation. Temptation is common to all. But each of us have to deal with our own temptations. I, I fear this is a, a reality that many people fail to, to realize. And, and so while condemning others for their failure to overcome temptation, even in the condemnation, they are themselves 
succumbing to the temptation. Pride. Arrogance. I don't think it's in the Bible, but holier than thou. As Jesus walked among men and suffered that sadness and pain of greed and selfishness and violence and just just plain meanness of people, ultimately suffering the humiliating agony of the cross, as he received the wrath of God, not deservedly because of his own sin, but undeservedly against our sin. So if we are to grow more Christ-like, if we are to be more like him, then we learn to be like him in the suffering we are led to endure in this world. Such is the sanctification. Such is the work of the Spirit of God. Such is the discipline that God sends for the good of His children. Such it is that leads us to ever greater holiness and purity before God. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The New Testament has a lot to say about sanctification. And when we understand that the New Testament was written with the audience, the intended readers are the people of God. It was written for the church. It was written to believers. And so it is that there, we are certainly given to understand what God has accomplished in us through His grace and the faith that He has granted in Jesus Christ, His Son, had, who accomplished the finished work of our salvation on Calvary's cross. But in the New Testament, there is just a, a whole span of writing that deals with this work in our lives in this day, the work of the Holy Spirit of God accomplishing our sanctification so it is the fruit you get which leads to sanctification and its end eternal life it is the Holy Spirit of God 
working in us to produce that fruit that we so often hear about. Galatians 5, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How often, how often we have been beat over the head with those verses. The English Standard Version of the Bible is, in my opinion, the very best translation that's available to us today in the English language. It does a marvelously wonderful job of both literal translation of the original language into English, but also shaping it in such a way that it reads in English. Um, not an easy task. I think I got a C in Greek. It was uh, not an easy task, and that was from a generous prof, by the way. But well, the thing, the reason I say all that is I want you to notice a particular word here in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. And what do you notice about that word Spirit here? It has a capital S. You can't get nothing past Ben. He's got it. Yeah, capital S. What does that mean? Who is the Spirit? God. The fruit of God. The fr it don't say the fruit of Bill. It don't say the fruit of Mary. Does it? It says the fruit of God is love. These are not fruits that it's up to you and I to produce. These are fruits that the Spirit of God produces in us, through us. As God in Christ has saved you, you have been justified by grace. God in the Holy Spirit is working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure in your sanctification. Did we bring up Philippians 2.13? For it is God who works in you. Isn't this amazing? Have you ever read this verse before? This is remarkable. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It pleases God. Wow, this is, this is big. This is, this is important. It pleases God as He is accomplishing His work within us, when He is accomplishing our sanctification, when He is bringing about the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Thank you, Father. We can be confident. If anybody, I tell you what, if anybody does what pleases them, it's me. 
You know, something pleases me, I'm going to do it. Of course, I do a whole lot that pleases Karen, too. It's a kind of has to take top of the list, I reckon. But I, you see, this is something that pleases God. And he's going to do it. This is what pleases him. So we, we have, see, this, this is all about assurance. This is all about having that confidence, that trust, that faith in God. The Spirit of God is working in us. Working in us. Producing that which is His will and His pleasure. Now maybe I ought to quit right there. Just leave it at that. Leave you with the full assurance and confidence of the work of God, Holy Spirit, to bring about our sanctification. But yet... In, yeah, you knew I wasn't going to, didn't you? Yeah. Yet in that same New Testament, that same Bible that spends so much time helping us, leading us, telling us about our sanctification, we find a lot of encouragement with words like strive, press on, persevere, a living sacrifice. And the admonition of 1 John 3, 3, to purify ourselves as he is pure. So it seems, it seems pretty certain that while we have every confidence and we trust in the Spirit of God, who according to his will and for his pleasure is bringing about the fruits of the Spirit in our lives to accomplish our sanctification, which he will do, which he has done and which he will finish, yet we're supposed to strive. We're supposed to press on. We're supposed to persevere. And we're supposed to purify ourselves as he is pure. When Jesus sent the messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor that we find in the Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to the church at Ephesus. He tells them, Remember where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. This is Jesus' message to a church. To Smyrna, he says, Be faithful unto death. To Pergamum. Repent. And he uses this word conquer. Conquer sin, overcome sin, withstand temptation, seek sinlessness. To Thyatira, hold fast what you have. Conquer sin. To Sardis, he says, wake up. Conquer sin. To Philadelphia, hold fast what you have. Conquer sin. To Laodicea, those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's abundantly clear that God intends that we would participate 
One writer calls it cooperate. Bill chose to say participate in our sanctification, in our, in our growing up, our maturity in Christ, becoming ever more Christ-like. It's also abundantly clear that failing to participate, failing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, is to our detriment. How then, how do we participate? Or how do we not participate? What does it look like? What do we do? <coughs> Two questions. I think it, they each have one very similar answer. How do we participate? Obey. How do we not participate? Disobey. The Holy Spirit of God works in His people in a, in a number of ways to accomplish His work of sanctification. I'm reluctant to say primarily, but, but one of the big ones is through the Scriptures, through God's Word, the Bible. And I've, I've read to you a number of passages where we are called to these, uh, these, these works, if you will, the, the striving, the, the purifying ourselves, the overcoming sin, to repent of sin, hold fast, hang on, to what we have heard. But I believe that there are essentially two commandments that we must obey and that in obedience to these commandments we are accomplishing our participation with the Holy Spirit of God in our sanctification. You know these two commandments. Love the Lord. Second, only to this, is that we love one another. It's not complicated. The answer is not complicated. Doing it might be a little bit more. I'll grant you that. Love the Lord... Love one another. You can't do the second without doing the first. And you're not doing the first if you don't do the second. And you can't do either one if you don't know the Son of God as your personal Lord and Savior. I said this message was primarily about assurance. And so it is that in our sanctification, in that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, and in each day throughout the course of this world, that therein is our greatest source of assurance.
the book of 1 John gives us a lot of assurance. It is written for the assurance of the saved. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this, we encounter this phrase, we know. Over and over. It's like a drumbeat in 1 John. That we know, we don't suspect, we don't hope, we don't have an idea. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. 3.23 And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now you see this idea, the assurance that we seek is found in God's work of sanctification. His Holy Spirit didn't originate with Bill Eller. This is, this is from the Bible, 1 John 3.23. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 4.13 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Praise God. I write, 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 5.1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Let me be sure that I include the, the other side. For likewise... Not only are these words of encouragement, hope, assurance found in the New Testament. Likewise, there are the warnings. Those who, those who do not love the Lord. Those who do not place their trust, their faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Those who continue in sin. Those who are not convicted of their sinfulness. Those who are unwilling to repent. The scriptures say you will not see life. You have no part in the kingdom of God. But in fact will face a terrible judgment. An eternity separated from God. the love of God, the love of others is the evidence of sanctification even as it is the means of sanctification. A little, little philosophical turn there. Huh? It is the, sanctification is the, or, or uh, how did I say it? 
Love of God, love of others, obedience is the evidence of sanctification, even as the means of sanctification. You know, the Masters is being played today. There's some guy has the lead I've never heard of, but man, he shot some beautiful golf shots yesterday. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it's. Uh, I had the good fortune a number of years ago to see a golf tournament uh, in which Gary Player, who was a very very popular, very famous golfer. Times go by. Uh, he's another one of those old guys I talk about. Some of you young people don't know, but uh, trust me, Gary Player was was worth uh, knowing. And he he was uh, he would talk with you, you know. And we were standing there, and uh, somebody said to him, "says Man, I wish I could play golf like you." And Gary Player said, "You can." He says, "All you have to do is hit 10,000 balls every day, just like I do, and you can probably play like." So what's Gary Player's lesson? Practice. 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 The more you do it, the better you get. Love the Lord our God. Love one another. Practice. The more you do it, the better you get. The love of God and the love of others is both the evidence of sanctification and the means of sanctification. We become, here it is, we become more Christ-like. We become more Christ-like in our love of the Father, our love of His children. You want to participate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification. Love the Lord. Love others. Love others. This is, this is where the good works thing comes in. That's always been an issue, hasn't it? Where, where do good works, how does this fit in? Well, good works are, are part of the practice in loving others. But you know what? Good works is also part of the practice of loving God. When we do these works, when we do these good things, when we bless others, and we do this in the name of Christ, when we acknowledge that it is the Spirit of God within us that is leading us to do these good things, these good works, then we are fulfilling the calling of Romans 12.1. We are doing, we are being that living sacrifice. We've all, we've all been taught, spend any time in church at all, we've all been taught to, to take your sins to Jesus. Give Give your sins to Jesus. Give your good works to Jesus. Give your, your good works that, that He would be glorified. For these are holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Kevin DeYoung, great preacher. We're going to hear him this week. Look forward to that. He speaks of signs. Signs that we're on the right road. Faith in Christ, love of God, love of others, overcoming sin, earnestly desiring the day of the Lord. It's good to be on the right road. And it's good to know you're on the right road. Sometime back, we made a trip up in the mountains. Karen, you might want to step out of the room for this one. <laughs> and somehow or other, up there in the mountains, I got off on the wrong road. And I have to confess my own ignorance, hard-headedness, stubbornness. I just kept going. I, at some point, I actually knew I was on the wrong road. And I just kept going. Well, guess what? That road did not take us to where we wanted to go. Surprise, surprise. It's good to be on the right road. But it's good to know you're on the right road. These are the signs. These are, this is the assurance, the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the lives of his people. Knowing that that which he has started, he who began a good work in you, will accomplish it till the day of his appearing. I want to just mention one other problem. For this idea of discerning, this idea of, of, of knowing that you're on the, the right road, that you're actually, you're actually advancing, getting where, where the Lord wants you to be. You're improving. You're growing up is the word from Ephesians. There's a, a real problem in the ability of the believer to truly judge where they are on the road to sanctification. And that problem is, is that the further along you are, the greater your humility, the more humble you become. And the more humble you become, the less likely you are to perceive your, your own measure of sanctification in the Lord. You're gonna, all you're going to do is say, boy, I haven't, haven't gotten very far. Well, God loves you. Amen. God loves you. And he has not abandoned us in this impasse. For he has given us, look around you, he has given us each other. He has given us the fellowship of the saints, the church. And it is our brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us to discern where we are on this path of sanctification.
So ask. It's okay. It's okay to ask. How am I doing? How do you think I'm doing? Is there anything in me that, that I need, maybe I'm not aware of, that you perceive that I, I need to take before the Lord? How would you pray for me? Well, you might ask, how might I pray for you? Listen. 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 A lot more listening than talking. Learn. It's okay to say, to speak to a brother or sister a word of encouragement. You don't have to wait for somebody to come up to you. Why don't you come alongside? A hand on the shoulder. You know, you're a blessing to me. I thank God for putting you in my life. I really appreciated how you fill in the blank. As the Spirit, as, the, as God would lead you, be an encourager to others. Be a, a blessing to others. Approach others with a question. With a question. following Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. I haven't told you anything new today. You have perhaps heard it all before. But I hope today there's a measure of assurance. I pray today that you have been encouraged by this message and that you have a sense for yourself on the right road to the sanctification which the Spirit of God accomplishes in each of His children according to His will for His pleasure. I want to leave you with First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen.